The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that despite all of our things that you love us, whether it be betrayal or denial or whether it just be um, selfishness or whatever it is, that you love us, Lord, that you've given yourself for us, that you endured everything we're going to look at today for our sake. And so, so we might have a relationship with you. So we ask God now that you would just uh, open your word to us, enliven it, Lord, and, and, and make our hearts and minds soft to your presence, we pray. And this, this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, my friends. Okay, so we are in um, part 11, week 3 of Matthew. We are, next week we start chapter 27 of Matthew. And guess what? There's only 28 chapters. So we are, we are really making progress here, y'all. Um, but we're in the last part of Matthew 26. This is the la- these are the last hours, really, of Jesus' life. He'll be on the cross. He'll, he'll be dead within 24 hours of this. He'll be, he'll be on the cross uh, within about uh, 18 hours of where we are now. We're in the last hours of his life. Last week, we looked at the Passover and how Jesus took that seminal moment in the life of God's people, how, um, how he took the, the meal that commemorated God's provision of an escape from God's own judgment. Jesus took that and gave it new meaning, not different meaning, but fulfilled meaning in him. That's what we call the new covenant. The new covenant. That's the last supper. Remember we talked about a sacrament? What's the definition of a sacrament? I heard somebody say it. Outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. So good. Y'all are A-plus students. A-plus. Jesus is so happy. Um, finally, we looked at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and said that the ultimate goal of discipleship is not my will, but thine be done. Right? I mean, that is, that is the ultimate statement of discipleship. Jesus is... Um, against, in the midst of what he, in his flesh, in his humanity, does not want to happen, he says, not my will, but thine be done. It is, uh, so, there is, there are very few instances in our life where that is not instructed. (laughs) And for me, I can promise you that. That's the goal. Not my will, but thine be done. Jesus finishes praying. He goes and wakes up the disciples for the third time, and he says, get up, my betrayer, is at hand. Now, I want you to remember the pattern that we said Matt, uh, Matthew walks us through. There's Judas, Jesus forges the new covenant, there's Peter, then Jesus forges the new covenant, then there's Judas, and then Jesus forges. So we see it back and forth, back and forth, and we get that today. We get, we're going to have Judas, we're going to have Jesus before the, uh, before the council, and then we're going to have Peter deny. So this is really like sort of some of the the heart of this, this passion. Remember, Jesus is moving towards isolation. Right now, he's praying by himself, but his disciples are around him. And then Judas shows up. So we have G- Judas betraying Jesus in the garden, Jesus before Caiaphas in the high council, Peter denying uh, that he knows Jesus three times. Judas betrays Jesus. Peter denies Jesus. Let me ask you, what is the difference between betrayal and denial? 
Almost interchangeable. So, Rebecca, it's your first time here, and you're. You, you, thank you so much. I'd love to hear from you. Well, my perception is that um, there's some honesty and denial when you choose not to do something, and there's not a level of honesty with betrayal. Okay. There's a level of deception. Interesting. So if you couldn't hear, she said there's an honesty with denial that's not there with betrayal. That. that Actually, I hadn't gone down that uh, hole uh, to, to think about that. I'll have to give that some thought. I love that. That's really good. What else? How, so that's a, a question, Lou. I mean, so how are they similar? Not just what's the difference. What are, what are, if we, maybe we can get there, and, and we're going to ask this again when we get to the end, but, but how, what's, what are some of the similarities, maybe? There's a disappointment. You're breaking trust with someone. Yeah. Either way, you're breaking trust. Yeah, there's disappointment. Either way, there's a big N-O. A big N-O. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And both damaging. Both selfish. All right. So, we're going to have to look in the mirror with both of those, right? So, the word in Greek for... And we're going to get to the text, I promise. But the word in the Greek for betrayal is, uh, you don't need to remember this, but paradidomai. And it means, uh, obviously, to betray, but it also means to deliver. Like you deliver a package. You take one thing and you give it to someone else, or to hand over. For instance, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you need to uh, come to an agreement with your adversary while you're walking the road, lest they hand you over to the judge. Right? That's just the natural consequence of, of the law. But you are being delivered, handed over uh, to the judge because you haven't reached a settlement with your adversary. <clears throat> and in fact, Romans, that's the same word, uh, that hand you over to the judge. Romans 8.32 also uses that same word. When Paul says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Gave him up. So the action of God is to deliver Jesus over for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? Is it, so in the context of grace, what God has given to us, he actually delivered his son into the hands of sinners. It's the same word. It's a handing over. And certainly when we're talking about Judas, there's a shade of treachery. This lack of honesty that Rebecca mentioned. This, this idea that, that the one I'm handing over didn't deserve it, didn't know about it, did, or didn't, uh, didn't, want it, didn't want to be handed over. Against that, that broken trust, like Mary mentioned. Now, the, the word for denial is... Um, <laughs> Aparneomai. And what that means is to forget oneself. For, to forget oneself. To deny one's association or forget one's association. So like Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. It's the same word. So there's this, there's this self-forgetfulness. And that's a, that can be a real pious thing. We want to forget ourselves. Or it can be a really selfish thing. We're actually forgetting our relationship, our self within the context of a relationship, 
even though that might actually be selfish to do that. So, um, mo- actually, most of the uses of that word, aparneomai, are centered uh, in the New Testament. Most of the uses are centered around Peter denying himself, disassociating himself from Jesus. So, let's get then uh, to the text. So, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus sweat blood. He's so stressed out. But watch. So, you have this, like, fearful man. I mean, lots of people have approached their death with a lot more courage than Jesus appears to have in the Garden of Gethsemane. There is this, but, but no one has ever faced their death knowing that they have always throughout eternity been connected intimately and um, as, as in as one being with the Father, and now they're going to lose that association, right? There, no one has, had to, has faced the cosmic consequences that Jesus knows are coming. There's this fearful man in the garden. Watch the demeanor change. Once his heart, what his, his jaw, in a sense, is set on the plan. While he was speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, as if we need to hear that. We know he's one of the twelve. But he's just highlighting the intimacy and the, that, that broken trust. He was one of the twelve. And with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, sees him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, do what you, have, do what you came to do. And then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. And it's hard, you know, like all we have is the text. I wonder, was Jesus yelling at Peter when he did this? Was he frantic? Was he calm? I don't know. I'm going to read it like he's calm. Put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the Scripture be fulfilled? That it must be so. And at that hour Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching. You did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. So Judas comes with a large crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders. This is not a, this is not a Roman garrison. This is a mob. Now these are the hen, Maybe they're temple guards. But these are the henchmen. There's a, a hint of, of irony, maybe, um, that the that these thuggish uh, makeshift army, maybe they're, like I said, maybe they're temple guards, but they, they're sent in the dark of night with baseball bats uh, by the holy, austere, clean, perfectly law-abiding, thou shalt not murder, Pharisees. And all of a sudden, Jesus is not suffering as He was in the garden. He is in control. Just striking difference in demeanor. 
and the tone. Judas greets him. Now, I, I'm, to us, we think, oh my gosh, Judas comes up. He has the audacity to kiss Jesus on the cheek and then hand him over. Like, that sounds terrible. Well, interestingly, I mean, I, perhaps, interestingly, what I, one of the things I read about this was that this, this, it was almost like a handshake. I mean, it was just a standard greeting. What would have been more shocking or um, scandalous, perhaps, to Matthew's audience is that a disciple never greeted a rabbi. He waited for the rabbi to greet him. And so Judas actually, he comes up and speaks first as if to say, look, I'm in charge now. I'm in charge. And that, to Matthew's audience anyway, would have been more scandalous. They would have, that's what they would have noticed. That Judas is, is this sort of studied insult uh, to Jesus. And how does Jesus respond to this sort of slap in the face, this breach of etiquette? He calls him friend. Yeah. He calls him friend. And he says, friend, do what you have come to do. Now, if you're reading from the, the good old King James, it says, friend, why have you come? Friend, why have you come? Friend, do what you came to do. That sounds very different in English. But it's actually in, in the Greek, and remember, he would have been speaking in Aramaic, but he says, friend, upon which you've arrived. That didn't make any sense. And so it, um, but it made sense to them. And, and, so the, and it's rightly trained. If you just take those little words, um, then it, that's, there's two ways to translate that. And they didn't have punctuation, so we have to guess. So are we guessing that he uh, punctuated it with a question mark or with a statement? What you've, what you've arrived for. What you have, what, what you've arrived for. That's, or is it, what have you arrived for? It's really just, it's that close. But it doesn't really matter. What's the, what's the, I mean, what would be the difference? Actually, the, if the question, why have you come, doesn't make any sense in the context of what he just told the disciples, get up my betrayers at hand. Or at the Last Supper, he said, one of you will betray me, the one I dip my hand in the bowl with. He knows. Maybe he just wants him to say it. Or maybe he just wants him to get it over with. Do what you come for. It really doesn't matter. But I did want to just highlight that to you to, to show you that uh, there is um, there's just some mystery in there. The disciples certainly don't know why he's come until all of a sudden they grab him. Is that an elephant in the back? Oh, just a little baby elephant, but I mean, it's crazy. You just never know what's going to happen at church. Yeah, yes, that's right. We cannot ignore the elephant in the room, y'all. That's, that's... Don't put your gate down. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, Richard. Was he uh, underlining, it seems to me, might be underlining uh, a, a prophetic uh, uh, situation. In other words, was not Judas uh, uh, that character, his character mentioned in the Old Testament? Was not Judas mentioned in the Old Testament? Well, there is a psalm that says, My friend, the one who has eaten bread with me, has betrayed me. 
And so there's this lament because we know how intimate the, the eating act was in, in there. There's this bond of trust that was assumed and associated with that, even more in their culture than in ours. Yes. But um, so, so yes, but I mean, what, what Jesus says and what, I'm, what I want to get to is that, is that the Scripture must be fulfilled. Yeah. Right? That's it. Like Jesus is completely in uh, control. Um, so I think it makes more sense given the context that he's saying, let's get this over with. Like, do what you came for. Um, but there is this, this sense in which the disciples themselves are, are still going, what is going on? Why is Judas one of us? Why does he come with these people? And then they see all everything that what, what Jesus has been talking about is suddenly coming to life and makes making sense. Um, the, the disciples don't have the sense of control that Jesus has, right? They don't have the divine vantage point that Jesus has. And so Peter, and we, we don't know this from Matthew's gospel, we know it from uh, John's gospel. Peter picks up his sword and cuts off the, the ear of the servant of the high priest. His name was Malchus. And, um, and we know from one of the gospels, I think it's, it's John, uh, that Jesus picks his ear up and puts it back on his head. That is just so wild. And, and if you've watched Mel Gibson's Passion, you remember, like, once they all carried Jesus off, Malchus is sitting there on his knees holding his head, just, like, trembling. It's, re- it's really a cool, powerful uh, scene. Can you hear me now? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Can you hear me now? Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> I know the focus is on Jesus here, but to me it's amazing that no retaliation was taken against Peter for smoking the, 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 the guy's ear. You know, I mean, the, the rest of the guards did not see him. Did yeah, they didn't attack him or anything. Now that is interesting. He he didn't he didn't. Um, yeah, they didn't say, "All right, we're gonna you're coming with us too." Yeah, uh, now that's true. Because they came for one purpose. But Jesus does admonish the disciples because He's got the divine vantage point. And He says uh, to them, I can call on my Father and He will send legions of angels to protect me. Now, here's what is so amazing. And I've actually never thought about this until I was looking at this. He just told the Father, not my will but yours to be done. He is set that the Father's will is to send Him, to deliver Him, to hand Him over so that you and I might be saved. But even now, He knows that the Father will do what He asks because their will is in perfect accord. So not only, it's not just that Jesus is this passive victim to the Father's will, but that Jesus is holding the whole plan together. Because if I asked Him to, Dad would find another way. There is, yes. So he's bound to the Scriptures and he has free will. And so, um, and I, how those intersect, we will find out in eternity. But, um, but the, uh, but the, so he is, he's binding himself to the will of the Scriptures and yet he could overcome that if he just, it, it is, it's more than you and I can comprehend, I think, in, in terms of the divine plan. But it's, I've just never seen that Jesus, even though he has just told the Father, your will be done, that he can in fact end it all right now. 
And the angels will come down. I just think that's remarkable. But he says, more than, more than that, more than what I could do to get out of this and we'll regroup and find another way, he says the scripture must be fulfilled. What scripture is he talking about? What comes to mind from the Old Testament? Anything? I'm hearing some mumbles, but I don't... Isaiah 53 came to... That was the first one that came to my mind. Where, and we'll read that on Good Friday. This is, this is the passage that says... Um, uh, by his stripes were healed on him. He has laid the iniquity of us all. It is, it is stunning to see that Isaiah prophesied this about the suffering servant 700 years before Jesus. I mean, very, I mean, make no mistake, very intentionally, the gospel authors have used Isaiah 53 as a, as a sort of template for telling their story. But it is remarkable. I mean, I mean it's just flabbergasting, really. And he's proven to them that all he has to do is speak the word. You know, he's, he's, he's healed people without touching them, just spoken, and they're instantly healed. So he could easily just ask the Father to send these angels. Yep. Don't even have to send all of them, just send a couple. It really wouldn't take more than a couple, right? I mean, just. <laughs> Legions of angels, come on. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's just say that'd be the end of that, right? Yeah, so, uh, scripture, that's a good point. So um, I just think that is, that is remarkable. The scriptures must be fulfilled. So then why all the clubs, right? The pitchforks and, the, and um, I mean, he says, I, I was in the court. So he turns from the disciples and admonishing them. Now he turns to the mob. So why all the clubs? I was in the courts. You, you could have taken me peacefully right then. And it's because he had to be betrayed. He had to be given over. He had to be isolated. Everyone is acting out. right? Judas is acting out. The guards are acting out. The disciples are acting out. Who's in control? Jesus. It's his will from the beginning as it is written in Scripture and it must be fulfilled. And the disciples flee into the night. The, the, again, the dichotomy between Jesus' demeanor in the garden and His demeanor now is so strikingly different. You can imagine the disciples run. What is going through Judas' mind now? As they're walking from Gethsemane across the Kidron Valley, back up the hill that they just walked down from the, from the Last Supper, they're walking back up towards Caiaphas' palace, Judas is thinking, those suckers, they didn't have the guts to fight for this man because he's a fraud. Everything I, I, I staked my, my last three years on this guy, and he's letting the woman with the alabaster jar and, and rubbing her hair on his feet and all it just and like he's not taking out, kicking out the Romans, he's not doing anything. And if he was, those people would have stayed with him. And you can, I just, I mean, if I'm putting myself in Judas's mind, there's, there may be some underlying doubts, but I think there's also, my guess is, and I'm just, this is entirely speculation, but I just imagine that there could be some, at this point, walking across the valley in the, in the middle of the night, there, there's some righteous indignation, self-righteousness. 
Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. So everybody's waiting on him because the plan was they're going to bring him back here. And Peter, even though he fled into the night, now has doubled back and he's following Jesus at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards uh, to see the end. Now the chief priest, so now we're having Jesus forge, so we've had Judas' betrayal, now Jesus is forging the new covenant. And uh, the chief priest and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. Because man, he has taught so many parables against them. He, he is, he's taken away all the people, casting them in a negative light. They couldn't find any. There are many false witnesses came forward. And at last, two came forward and said, This man has said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. The high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. They spit in his face, struck him. Some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? So it turns real ugly, real fast. Yes, Charlotte. Yeah, and I think if they waited past the Passover and through the Sabbath, that they would have uh, probably lost their opportunity. Oh, yeah. And so, no, they understood. It was a, certainly a rush job. Did they break their own laws? I, I'm not, I can't tell you exactly about well, their laws. But, the but yeah, they were seeking false witnesses. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, no, that's Matthew's perspective, of yeah. course. You know, I don't, you know, I, and I want to be fair about that, although it is also God's word. Um, but it, it, in, in the sense that, um, it does, it, they weren't really interested in the truth. They were interested in the outcome. That's what I'm saying. They, they rushed this whole job through. Yes. No, it was absolutely a rush job. Absolutely. So Jesus, uh, in, in John chapter 2, it's towards the beginning of his ministry. And this is interesting because uh, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have Jesus cleansing the temple at, right after he enters Jerusalem on, uh, on Palm Sunday. Right? Comes down 
palms, Hosanna, cleanses the temple. John has, it do, has him cleansing the temple early in his ministry. Now, maybe it's the same event, and they told two different uh, timelines, or maybe it's two different events. But the, uh, in John, chapter 2, the authorities come to, uh, to Jesus, and they say, what sign will you give us showing us that you have the authority to do this, to drive out the money changers? And he says, tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. So that's over in John, not in, not in Matthew. It's really interesting. And that's what he's accused of. Now, if, it, what, if the timelines are, are concurrent and it was actually two events, this would have been like two or three years before Maybe, he said, you know, who knows? I, and, and I don't think it matters with the truth of it. But um, nevertheless, that's what they came forward and accused him of. Now, of course, Jesus was talking about his body. Because what is a temple but the dwelling place of God? So you're going to tear down this temple, his body, and I'm going to raise it up in three days. And, uh, and that, then you will know. I'm not going to do a magic trick and pull a rabbit out of a hat so you know I can say this. I'm gonna, you're going to have to wait till this whole thing unfolds. That's going to be the sign. Jesus could have saved his life, his own life. And so, they say... Where would we be? Right. Where would we be? So that's, that's, my, next, that's actually my next point, because the, the chief priest says, what do you have to say for yourself? You just say you're going to tear down the temple? It took us 68 years to build this, or whatever it was, and you're going to build it in three days? What do you have to say for yourself? And he says, Nothing. And I've always wondered if you and I would be here today if he had said something. Because if he had said anything, they'd have had to let him off. I mean, you just see, like, I mean, always Jesus, I mean, he just, he has, I mean, for him to speak, the crowds listen. I mean, like, he could have given them faith. He could have disappeared. I mean, he was silent for you and me. It's not that he didn't have anything to say. I'd like to ask a question, taking it back into the middle of this uh, uh, paragraph here. Uh, he said, I adjure you by the living God. And then uh, Jesus said, you've said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power coming in the clouds of heaven. What they might have thought at that time. What do you mean? What so do you he's think? being quiet, and, and so they're not getting anywhere because he's not giving them anything to work with. And so the, the, the high priest gets... Uh, gets frustrated and says, tell me now, I adjure you, like I demand of it, that you tell us if you're the Christ. And he says, you have said so. And I think that what that means, because he said this, he said this same thing to Judas when Judas said, is it I, Lord? At the table, he said, you have said so. In other words, I think the way we would say that is, what you've spoken is truth, but I would, you and I mean different things by it. What you mean by, are you the Christ, is are you a national liberator? Are you the one anointed by God to lead us apart from the Romans? And what I mean is that I'm divine. And I've come to save you from your sin. Yes, John. Yes. Yes, that's right. It's going to happen again the third time, which is anytime something happens three times, we want to pay attention to that. Yes. 
Well, yes, yes. Peter's the sort of chief denier, but yes, they all deny. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. No, they're all guilty. They are. And, and Jesus is, is isolated because of it. So, so he says, you have said so. In other words, yes, what, the, your words are right, but we don't mean the same thing. From now on, and what he does next is remarkable. There's these two hyperlinks to the, um, to the Old Testament. He takes Psalm 110 and he takes Daniel 7 and he combines them. Psalm 110 is God's invitation to the Messiah to come and sit at his right hand. And, and then Daniel 7 is, is the Son of Man coming in clouds of glory. And he takes both of those same things and says, from now on you're going to see me, the Messiah. The one that your scriptures have talked about and predicted. And they go apoplectic and, um, and tear their clothes. You know, whenever, interestingly, clothes are really expensive and really hard to come by. Um, and, it, and they didn't have, you know, goodwill then. I, maybe they did. I don't know. But they, um, they, they um, when you, to tear your clothes was to make an extraordinary sacrifice in frustration. <laughs> Seems kind of stupid, although I'm, like actually, I've actually done that before. But I, um, um, I, um, I, I just, I, um, I would only tell you that because it's Lent. You know, that's, it's, it's just, it's, um, there, there is no question that Jesus is claiming divinity. This is why he is killed. Like, he's in trouble because of all the woes. And he's really in trouble because he's taking the people. And, and, uh, but now he is claiming to their faces that he is divine. And the Sanhedrin only has two options. They can fall down and worship him, or they can kill him. That's it. And they pick door number two. Right. Now, as all of this is going on, Peter's out in the courtyard. And it's chilly. And they made a fire. And I always picture this in like one of those old oil cans, but they didn't have oil cans back then. But I always just picture it like in the oil, like, you know, anyway, that's just how I picture it. Huh? Like in Rocky. Yeah, that's how I picture it. I don't think they had Rocky either. No. Um, yeah. Terrible. And so they've got this fire, and, and this servant girl, it's just hilarious that Matthew is just, you know, because they were fellow disciples, Matthew's just poking Peter where he's writing this. He didn't say this, like, you know, the, this really, uh, uh, I don't know, really imposing woman, you know, weightlifter woman came and asked. I mean, like, he's just this servant girl. Like, he just made, you know, I don't know. He could have told it anyway. The servant girl came up to him and said, you also are with Jesus the Galilean. And, and he denied it before the, everybody. and said, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, that man, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he again denied it with an oath. We don't get the oath. He probably said something that's roughly translated dadgummit. Uh, <laughs> I do not know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Be- your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. <laughs> so when we were there at this site, the church, there's no church there. 
And there's these remarkable statues uh, of G, uh, the servant girl talking to Peter with this, uh, and this cock is up on the, uh, the, this barrel or something above Peter's head. We're walking around, and I promise you that his rooster is crowing from down in the valley. It was so cool. Just, just over and over again uh, in the middle of the day, but it was just, it was really, it was really neat. I was like, they, surely they've got, it's like on a speaker. Like, they've got it just, it was. Must be so. It, yeah, you have said so. Um, but, um, and Peter, remember the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Why would Peter deny that he knew Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, he was afraid of being arrested. What would be the justification in his mind? Accessory before the fact. Say it again. Accessory before the fact. Accessory before the fact. Conspiracy. Okay. I was like, yeah, just being one of Jesus' followers. Well, Peter's just kind of an impulsive person anyway, and he just blurted out no without thinking. Okay. Did you restate your... Did, did you say what was on Peter's mind? Yeah, yeah. Why would Peter justify that denial? And, because at that point, Jesus wasn't what he wanted either. Interesting. He was not the Messiah that he wanted. He wasn't the person... That was going to save everybody. So you're, so okay, so you're actually suggesting that Peter had his own doubts. Oh, yeah. About, not about his association with Jesus, but whether or not he ought to be associated with Jesus. Yeah. Okay, now that's interesting. Here's my assumption. Maybe You know, a lot of times we interpret these things based on our own neurosis and, and, and our own place. But I have always sort of assumed, the way I read this, is that Peter knew that if he didn't get in trouble now, then he could maybe help him later. Is there some sort of benevolence? I think even if there is in Peter's mind, and I would like to grant him the benefit of the doubt on that, yes, he's afraid. And that, you know, fear clouds our judgment. And so he thinks to himself, I'll, I'll say no now. And he does it impulsively. I, I, I certainly admit that, that I'll be able to help Jesus later. But Jesus is moving towards isolation. And in fact, Luke tells us that when the cock crowed, that Jesus was actually in the courtyard and looked at Peter and dead in the eye. And Peter is overcome with the reality that the Messiah told him this was going to happen. It's, it is... Extraordinary. Well, it's interesting. Everybody else ran away, but Peter followed him. Yeah, John was. John seems to have been there too. Not in Matthew's account, but another uh, one of the probably John's uh, account. Um, <laughs> the one whom Jesus and I, what's that? Yeah, the one whom Jesus loved. Yeah, I think it is actually. Yeah. Peter has kind of a classic push-pull conflict. Has the guts to call on Jesus. Yes. And we have to remember his boast that even if everybody else runs away, I'm lost. Okay? So yeah. Everybody else is gone, but he and John are there. Yeah. But then that human part of it 
So he's following his own plan. I'm not going to, you know, even if everybody falls away, I won't. I love that. Thank you for bringing that. And yet he cannot help but follow Jesus' plan too. That's a really, that's a, that, you could just, just ponder that, you know. He's following his own plan, but he can't help but be following Jesus' plan as well. Let me ask you this. What does denial look like in our lives? Not just a river in Egypt, right? That's what they say, yeah. What's denial look like? I think to me that what, what I think of in that kind of sense is when we have an opportunity to witness in an everyday situation and we choose not to. Yeah. Because I mean, that's the most common thing that I run into is, you know, you know, not actively betraying, but more that passive denial where it's just, you know, I could, you know, say something about being Christian or Jesus or something in some conversation I just choose not to. Indifference. Avoiding. Indifference mm-hmm. 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 avoidance, yeah. Yeah. Josh said this, it's, it's usually not overt. I don't know anything about Jesus, don't ask me. It's sort of a mm-hmm. not taking the opportunities when before you. Cool kids are because what's going to happen? Yeah, I might get arrested too. Yeah, yeah. Not arrested, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Held up. Embarrassed. Embarrassed. Ostracized. 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 And we can always find a way to justify it. Always. But fear clouds our judgment. And I want you to know that I am preaching to myself. Just because I got this collar on doesn't mean I think... I don't know if I want to say that right now. I don't know what you're talking about. Don't ask me two more times. Whatever you do. Okay, get that on tape. Yeah, no. It's, it's on tape, buddy. I'm sorry. Sorry to say. Um, I think that we need to find ourselves in Judas and Peter. Because remember, they, what I understand is, is, that, is that Matthew and Mark do this because it's, we, it's everybody in between. It's everybody in between. That's, that's where we are. So Jesus' isolation is, is almost complete so that He can win the whole world. Right? That's what we hear about in the sermon today. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. How did He give His only Son? Alone. So, let me ask you again. What are the differences and similarities between betrayal and denial? Yeah. And I just feel like as a disciple that to turn my back on the opportunities that Jesus gives me is in a sense, it feels to me as a disciple a lot like betrayal. And I'm familiar with that feeling. I, I don't, I'm um, and, and, and so in our lives as disciples I don't think they look a lot different. Maybe we're not handing him over to the authorities. But we are, there's that lack of trust. And what always amazes me 
is that Jesus isn't going, you're cutting yourself out. He's saying, I'm dying for you. And I'm going to rise to give you life. So, Next week, we're going to start chapter 27. First 26 verses, a tale of two leaders. See you in church. Thank mm-hmm. you.